This episode of Barrel Tasting with Howard Fletcher is brought to you by Visit Loudon, the tourist office for DC's wine country. Visit Loudon invites you to DC's wine country, a mere 30 miles from the nation's capital. Loudon is the Napa Valley of the Mid-Atlantic. Home to more than 40 wineries, Loudon's vineyards provide views of everything from the lush rolling hills of the Virginia countryside to the soaring slopes of the Blue Ridge Mountains. With fire pits, outdoor patios, and acres of open land perfect for vineyard picnics, Loudon's wineries are ready to welcome you at any time of year to enjoy award-winning Viognier, Cab Franc, Merlot, Norton, and Bordeaux blends. My favorite. There's more than just drinking wine when you come to visit DC's wine country. Take part in unique experiences such as vineyard hikes paired with personal tasting kits, sangria making classes, and special wine pairing dinners. And if you enjoy the day, listen, why not stay longer? Dine in superb restaurants or check into one of the boutique B&Bs or luxury resorts and make a weekend of it. Joan and I have, and we've had a ball. To start planning your trip to DC's wine country, check out visitloudon.org. That's V-I-S-I-T-L-O-U-D-O-U-N.org. And now back to the show. Me? I came here, there was a lot of, of Cap Franc in the ground. Um, and from 97 to here we are in 2001, I know I have and a lot of others have learned a tremendous amount how to grow it, how to make it, how to make it better and take it from this, um, you know, green pepper salad with Virginia twang at the end <laughs> to a much more elegant, food-friendly, uh, heavy Pinot style yeah. that can work so well either as a blender or on its own. This is Barrel Tasting with Howard Fletcher, a podcast that shines a light on the best winemakers, craft brewers, and spirit distillers in the DMV. So grab a glass of your favorite adult beverage. Don't forget to subscribe to the show and let's get started. Thank you, Asia. Hello and welcome to Barrel Tasting. I'm Howard Fletcher. Today's show is one that I've been wanting to do for a long time, well over a year. It will not only feature one of my favorite places to go taste wine with Joan, but I will be interviewing an icon winemaker who will be on the Mount Rushmore of Loudoun County if they don't use that plot of land to plant grapevines. First, I want to ask you in advance to please subscribe to the podcast if you've not done so already. And I have some news also that I've said for about the past three or four shows. Barrel Tasting with Howard Fletcher is now available on Alexa. Just say Alexa, open Barrel Tasting Podcast, and a new episode of my show will play on your device. And that's pretty exciting. I am slowly eliminating ways for you to not listen to my show. Now back to the good stuff. My guest today is Doug Fabioli, co-owner and head winemaker of Fabioli Cellars in Leesburg, Virginia. Doug is so passionate and dedicated to his craft and Virginia wine that he's been given the honored moniker, the godfather of Loudoun Wines. This guy's heart is always in accord with the rhythm of his vines, the unpredictable weather of the region, and the clusters of fruit that he transforms into the liquid that we wine lovers enjoy. But that's enough poetry for me. With no further ado, here's my conversation with Doug Fabioli of Fabioli Cellars. Let's all raise a glass. All right. All right. I am at the fabulous uh, Fabioli Vineyards and Cellars uh, here in Leesburg. And I have to tell you, I'm here with Doug Fabioli. And Doug, uh, first let me welcome you to the show. Thank you. I have been 
wanting to speak to you for a long time. Uh, I've been busy. It's not that you know we haven't been able to get together. In fact, you were quite responsive when I finally reached out. But of all the, you know, I've spoken to a lot of winemakers in the area, and you know, it's a small, uh, relatively tight-knit community, small community, but no other winemaker in the area has been mentioned on my podcast <laughs> as much as you have, sir. So it's it's indeed a pleasure to be here. Well, they've uh, they've dubbed me the uh, the Godfather of Loudoun County wine. Yeah. Um, and uh, unbeknownst to my knowledge, is it sounds like that's gone to Northern Virginia and sometimes even into Virginia. So so I, I get a I get a little bit of a reputation, but it's really the mindset that um, you know I've been taught of all boats lift in a rising tide, mm-hmm. and you know we are not competition to each other. We are here to help each other grow. And we, in doing that, we've built that footprint of Virginia wines um, and really is, have made an impact on, uh, on Eastern viticulture and uh, the Eastern wine industry, which East, you know, Eastern United States wine industry. And it's a, it's a pleasure to have that. And I certainly haven't done it alone, but I make sure and push that agenda of stay together, don't cut each other's throat, we're brothers and sisters in this thing. We can do it better together. Yeah. Well, that's the purpose of this podcast. I started this cool. podcast to elevate the craft and beverage culture here, but specifically the wine culture in the mid-Atlantic. And right now, Virginia's leading the way in that charge. I had uh, Natalie uh, Melanie Natoli oh, yeah. on the show a couple weeks ago. In fact, her episode dropped on Tuesday. Okay. And I understand she... Uh, did an apprenticeship here, so to speak, or she worked Probably, yeah, one of my most successful um, uh, protégés. Mm-hmm. Uh, she did real well here. You know, you get to a magic point just as, you know, you always think of birds in the nest and things, is that when it's time to go, you got to figure out how to do that. Right. And uh, I haven't always been the most graceful, but I'm really glad to see how well she's done and, um, and the success that, that her and others have had. And, you know, each step of what we do, we learn from. So mm-hmm. my teaching style and emphasis is going to be better as I do it more. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, that was about a decade ago. So, you know, to see where I am now and where my people that I'm teaching uh, come out of this is, is all a good thing. Yeah. Well, uh, my partner, Joan, right over there, uh, she and I have come out here several times. Uh, since the beginning of COVID, our wine winery exploration has cut down significantly, almost to nothing. Yeah. Uh, but we always used to like to stop to stop by here, and so I, and I'll get into that later. But you were talking about East Coast winemaking. Yeah. And uh, even though I said your reputation preceded you coming on this program, I always do a little research in the great vastness of the internet. Went to your uh, website, and I understand you. Um, when you thought about developing a career in wine, first look west to do that. Is that correct? Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay, tell us a little bit about that. So I really, at the time, I was in, in college at Syracuse, uh-huh. and um, I was with my partner at the time, who I didn't know she was, how long she was going to be my partner, but, <laughs> you know, um, I kind of said maybe we should, you know, I'd like this wine thing. I think I can make a living at it. Uh-huh. Um, and she said, okay. Well, we're 32 years later, and still she's saying, okay. All right. So um, we moved to California. I had a connection in, uh, in Sonoma County, and I was able to kind of put some roots down there and get started. My first job in 1987 
was at Buena Vista Winery. Oh, nice. And the great thing about that opportunity is that I basically stayed there. I had different winemakers come in, and I was able to learn there, and they kept feeding me. I had uh, Santa Rosa Junior College close, Mm-hmm. So and Davis is close on the other side. So I was able to take some different classes to fill out my my education, along with getting day to day hands on experience. Um, and they even at Buena Vista gave me a little bit of opportunity to get into the the marketing and you know the the development. So I got to I got to do some tastings with the winemaker um, and do some blendings as I got further down the pike. Um, I remember doing some some uh, product. Um, um, presentations and stuff uh-huh. with a with a well-known writer uh, down in LA. I did him like three di- three or four years in a row. Nice. So that was really neat to to go through that progression. And you know, I realized I didn't realize it at the time, uh-huh. but I realized that I really was in a whole nother school to be where I am today. And I was able to take that experience. Um, and then after ten years there. You know, we were ready to make the move back here, and all the pieces fell into place for us to move back here close to my wife's family's, out, uh, you know, was out of Rockville. Okay. So we've got close family here. You know, I got the job at Tarara. There was no closer winery. I mean, all the pieces fell into place yeah. for me to land right where I am and doing what I'm doing. Right. So that was, what, 97, late 90s? 97 is when I came here. That was right. my first harvest in, in Virginia. Okay. And so how, tell me how you went from working at Tarara to finally, you know, getting a place of your own? So, you know, that was a little bit rougher um, transition, <laughs> but, you know, it's the kind of thing. I mean, he, he was a, a, a tough guy yeah. uh, at Tarara. You know, I learned a lot from Whitey, and that farming experience was great. But, you know, when it was time for me to go, he said, it's time for you to go. Mm-hmm. So I kind of, you know, we had bought the property here, mm-hmm. and we shuffled around. I was able to go out and get a couple of part-time winemaking gigs and consulting and stuff. So I was able to hang my shingle out and get things moving uh, pretty well, which I didn't know I could. Um, and then um, started building the house, getting the vineyard planted, and kind of doing things. So, you know, sometimes you take that leap yeah. and you're ready to go. Sometimes you're pushed out of the airplane. Um, and in this case, I was. But um, there were enough pieces in place that if I didn't do that or that wasn't there, um, that was the best thing for me was to leave Tarara at that time yeah. and take the next steps in, in getting my own operation going. Tell me about, you know, you did most, you learned your craft or the beginning of your craft out in California. Come here and um, tell me the difference between growing grapes on the East Coast in Virginia as compared to what you were dealing with out in California, because I imagine it was quite different. It, it was. Now, I would say in California, I wasn't really the grape grower. All right. I was sure. working more in the cellars, and I really learned that craft. So that's my top skill set is as a winemaker. But I was taking the classes. I had an opportunity to do some pruning out there mm-hmm. on the vine. So my wife and I, before the kids were born, we were able to get out and get our hands dirty and get to know the vineyard. And that, that really was a great experience for us. Um, but uh, certainly, you know, the the... the Disease pressure, the summer rains, the cold at, uh, in the winters. Um, you know, there's a lot of challenges here. Yeah. And, you know, not to mention, you know, the, you know we don't want to get into politics, but the climate change that we've been going through mm-hmm. has been immense. Yes. The, the hot sp- patches are hotter. 
the cold patches are colder, the wet patches are wetter, and those droughts are, are more intense. So through all that, we've learned all kinds of new words of weather, like derecho and uh, polar <laughs> vortex, right. um, as well as more tools that we need to use in order to grow our grapes successfully. Um, but I also say that going through those challenges, that kind of helps add character to our wines. Yeah. Is that, you know, they're going to come out, and because we're working them and, and trying and getting what we can out, it may not be easy, but I think that those wines have a story to tell, and that's really what we like. Yeah, well, what I've learned, and I'm a latecomer to wine, uh, didn't really start drinking wine, quote-unquote, seriously, uh, till about six years ago, and I started dating Joan, as a matter of fact, and uh, I've started really drinking California wine, most of it, a lot of it. At least that's what I liked, the, the you know, cabs, the big reds, those types of things. And I've gone away from those things. Not that they're not good. I mean, everything is, is different, but I've learned to appreciate the character of Virginia wine and taste, tasting all the different, the elegance of it, so to speak. And, I, and I'm, you know, I guess a lot of that comes out of the, the terroir and, and how it's cultivated. The grapes are cultivated here. I, I think there's a, there's a few things there that, that come out. Certainly that is, is, is a big part of it. The other thing is, is when we start talking about scale, uh-huh. is that the vineyards in Virginia are smaller. The wineries are smaller. You're not taking, you know, grapes from all over this huge state and putting them into a vat and then saying, okay, we have our Pinot Noir. You're getting this wine and not Pinot in Virginia, but let's say a Cab Franc from a specific block uh, picked and grown by a specific grower uh-huh. and all the way through the process. So you get a lot more of those um, those little nuances that are going to show from that vineyard, that sense of terroir is really intense because it's specific. Those wines are handled and crafted rather than assembly lined. How many acres are you on right here? Or so do you have vines on? Our, our property's 25 acres. I've got about 10 acres of okay. vines. All right. And the sourcing of your the grapes that you share wine, right. is, it, is it all estate or is it... Where do they come from? No, my challenge here is, first of all, this isn't the greatest place to grow grapes. I've learned that the hard way. But it's a great spot as far as a location for a winery. Yeah. And it was a good spot to raise kids uh-huh. and all that. But over time, I've been able to um, take over different vineyards in the area here that we manage on a regular basis. Uh-huh. So I've got five other locations that we're farming right now uh-huh. um, that add to... The, the, the group here. So I'll, I have Chardonnay that's growing up in the Waterford area. I've got um, Petit Verdot and Petit uh, Mansang down in Warrington. Um, I've got Chamberson just down the road. So each of these locations, I'm managing those vineyards, and that's what's kind of defining the base of our grapes. But you try to you stay within the state of Virginia? And, I uh, mostly I do. I yeah. do bring in some fruit out of California. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and that's been a contentious spot for some folks because some want to be all all Virginia, only Virginia. Yep. Um, I brought in a little bit from Maryland in the past. Um, I'm doing fruits. Um, I'm doing ciders. So I touch on a lot of different things. Yeah. And I really feel, you know, the, the California route is one where um, I started bringing in Zinfandel in 2013 because I couldn't get Cap Franc. Yeah. So I started to 
to find work with a good broker there, and I started a product line. Um, it's defined as California or American because that's mm-hmm. what I can put on the label. And I want to protect that Virginia name and that, sure. the growers. Yeah. But I also make a wine that I call Bicoastal, which is the best of what I have in Virginia and the best of what I have in California, yeah. Yeah. out of California. So yeah. I, I'm playing with a lot of different things, yeah. but I want to emphasize the authenticity that we are growing in Virginia. Yeah. We're doing a lot of growth in Virginia, and that is a major part of our business and, and operation. Well, you know, I think a big part of it, what you were stating, is that you emphasize quality of what you're putting, you're making, you know, whether it's all Virginia or not. And uh, a lot of winemakers, again, that I've spoken to, kind of credit you for uh, being somebody who's to lead the way to, for Virginia wine to maintain a certain standard, especially Loudoun County wine, to maintain a certain standard. Well, I, you know, when I got here, we had four Virginia, four wineries here in Loudoun County. Uh-huh. Um, and there was a term that we would use, and especially for a couple of them uh, at the time, and, and there may be still some once in a while, but it's, it's a lot less pot, less common. We called them the bucket and funnel wineries. Yeah. Is that they were real small operations. They were able to get a license, um, but uh, they weren't really helping the industry because there was such variability in quality yeah. because they weren't professional. Yeah. They didn't have the quality equipment. They hadn't had the training. Um, but as they get bigger, then if the wine's not good, you're getting a much bigger footprint of mediocrity, okay? Yeah, yeah. And, and that's really, I see Virginia started off in some cases doing that. And I've had to f- work hard to build our reputation beyond some of those very challenging wines yeah. that people had. They go to a wine festival. There's mediocre wine there. People are tasting. They have a lousy, you know, out in the heat. It's lousy wine. They will never go back to Virginia wine. Yeah. Oh, that doesn't help. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So yeah. we've got to play Mr. Fix-It at that point. Yeah. And the fix-it point is any winery starting out, we want to make sure that they are of quality. And we help each other get to that point. Or we say, listen, you can't sell that. Mm-hmm. You know, and we'll 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 use that good old uh, Italiano elbow <laughs> to say either you step up or you're going to be stepping out because yeah. we don't need it. Yeah. You know, putting lots of bad wine out there is not a good step. Put out less quality wine and you're going to have a much better reputation. It sells. Yeah. You don't have to work to sell it. Yeah. Well, you you've done that to great effect. Not the Thank necessarily you. the. Uh, you the don't Italian see those elbows as often, <laughs> but you know that may be a dark count, a, a conversation, or right. a way to get that influence. Right. You know, I've learned a lot from the politics in the area. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, some of the, uh, the like, again, one of the reasons I I wanted to do this podcast was to get that word out as far as the wine in the area is concerned. I'm from Maryland. I'm a Marylander. Okay, and, and they've done great. I got to give them a lot of credit yeah. in their growth. In their growth, again, Virginia's, and this, I'm saying this as a Marylander and a consumer, okay, so I may not know as well as you, but from my perception, Virginia's probably about 10 years, I think, in front of Maryland. A lot of that has to do with the fact that the um, state of Maryland doesn't support the wineries as well as the state of Virginia supports this industry. I, I think what's happened is that they're supporting it now. Yeah. Where you're right, there was a lot of ground that wasn't gained. Mm -hmm. But the other thing that's happened with that, and your observation I think is spot on, is that the the um, because Virginia has gone forward, 
that one at the front of the cutting the cloth yeah. is a lot more challenging. And those riding the coattails, the road's a lot easier. So we're there as a model yeah. uh, for them to follow. And that that's fine. I am happy to see these these wineries in, in Maryland really blossom and grow. Yeah. Um, and I, I, they're, they're going at a faster pace than yeah. we were able to go at. Yeah, absolutely. And again, that's, I think that's because they have a... Uh, an outline they have a path that they know that they can follow because they observed from afar you guys doing yeah. it um it, it came to mind because maryland at least a lot of the wineries i know a lot of the established wineries there that meaning they're older than 10 years old uh did a lot of fruit wines yeah you know that was kind of like their wheelhouse and now that they want to go more dry and bordeaux they've had to work fight against that we have a lot of people say i don't want to go to x winery because you know, I don't like peach wine or I don't like pear wine or, you know, I drink, you know, um, Bordeaux blends and I have to tell them, go there and you're going to get it. And I, and I think that's what you've been fighting against here. Wine is a long-term thing. Mm -hmm. You know, so much in our society is, you know, it's, it's hot and fast and done. Um, you know, the, the, the clock on the wine industry goes a lot slower. And here in Virginia, we've really done a great job of cranking that up and going a lot faster mm -hmm. um, as far as the establishment and getting that quality up. But um, we also know that over time, hopefully, those ch more challenging wines will be forgotten. And people, there's always new people coming on board to try those wines. So on a business level, we can get past that. Mm -hmm. um, but <clears throat> I think any new wine region has its challenges, especially if they're starting without the, um, the guidance. Uh -huh. um, you know, Joe Fiola has been a big impact up in Maryland. Um, here we've had Tony Wolf in the vineyards and Bruce, Dr. Bruce Zocklin in the, uh, in the cellars. You know, now Bruce is long retired. Um, Tony's still going at it. We've got new people at tech, but we've also got a lot more within the industry. We have a program called the, um, the um, Winemakers Research um, Exchange, uh -huh. where we're doing our own experiments as winemakers and sharing that information. Um, and it's a, it's a state-sponsored program from the, from the Virginia Wine Board uh -huh. so that we're able to continue this growth of quality. Uh -huh. You know, in, in winemaking, there's like probably a half a dozen big things that you really have to do in order to make something drinkable. Yeah. Okay. And in the beginning, we weren't even hitting those six things or whatever they were. Okay. But as you want to make it better, there's lots and lots and lots of little things that you've got to be able to understand and learn and focus on in order to hit those next levels and be considered a world-class wine. Uh -huh. So there's no book on that. Um, we're writing the book because each region and each vineyard and each season and, you know, sometimes... Um, the, the, the preference of the winemaker may show different ways. Yeah. So, so we continue to keep working and learning and trying and all that. It's never going to stop. Yeah. And that's the goal of this. That's yeah. what we love about it. Yeah. So. My favorite wines are blends, are red Bordeaux blends. Okay. But in your opinion, as a, as a winemaker and, and a winemaker that's been here quite a few years now, uh, is there, what single varietals would you hold out and say, you know, Virginia does this, in your opinion, or right now, does this the best. You know, you'd put hold it up against any other wine or eventually 
would you hope that Virginia would be known for its whatever? I'm not going to suggest something. So I'll, I'll go a little bit of history is that Virginia, there was one point where we kind of announced that Vignet was going to be our grape, okay? Right, right. And I sit on the Virginia wine board, so I'm aware of that <laughs> announcement coming before my term and being denounced um, not too long ago, right, okay? Right. We said, listen, Vignet is a great grape. Uh, it has its times where it's fabulous, but we don't have a whole lot here. Uh, some years it's not producing much, and um, it's it's a bar that we could never really reach as far as marketing goes mm-hmm. and, and, and be like Pinot in Oregon. The bigger thing that I think is that we haven't, we're still exploring, we're learning. Sure. So I don't know that I would hang my hat on just one. Mm-hmm. Me, I came here, there was a lot of, of Cab Franc in the ground. Um, and from 97 to here we are in 2001, I know I have and a lot of others have learned a tremendous amount how to grow it, how to make it, how to make it better mm-hmm. and take it from this um, you know, green pepper salad with Virginia twang at the end <laughs> to a much more elegant, food-friendly, uh, heavy Pinot style yeah. that can work so well either as a blender or on its own. Yeah. So me, I love the Cab Franc. Right. But the Petit Verdot is something that has really popped up. Yeah. Um, Petit Mansang, I think, is one of our outstanding white wines that just continues to grow and blossom. Mm-hmm. But that's a little bit of a machine that it gets sweet and it gets, it still has a lot of acid. So you got to kind of figure out where that's going to go. Yeah. Um, you know, Chardonnay always fits. It grows in a lot of different places. It's always a pain. Mm-hmm. But it can also, you know, people know Chardonnay very well. Um, I love the blends. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that... Uh, Merlot in a blend is better than Merlot on its own, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Cabernet Sauvignon on the very best sites, okay, on good years, you can get some fabulous Cabernet Sauvignon or Cab blends mm-hmm. here in Virginia, but it's not easy. Yeah. So yeah. Um, I've been fortunately enough, uh, I've been lucky enough to, to work a couple of those vineyards. I don't have them anymore. But I, I was just sipping one the other day. I was like, it was good. Yeah. I'm happy. It's yeah. not It's not Napa Valley Cabernet Sauvignon. Right. Okay. Yeah. It is a different style, but it's still beefy. It's full. The fruit is forward. And there's quality and, and style and story in those wines. I don't think you can say that enough. I'm glad you said that. I say that a lot of times to, to people I know. We're talking about wine. Right. Virginia wine, especially reds that your expectation, I think that's sometimes why they have a misperception about Virginia wine, because if they drank a French Cab Sauv, they probably wouldn't compare it to a California Cab Sauv. But when they, they do it with Virginia Cab Sauv, right. which is wrong, well, I, I think, in, you know, it's not informed. I think, I know this, is that our wines are closer to France yeah. than they are, or Europe, than they are to California. You know, you mentioned earlier about some of these really big, beefy wines. And there was a point in California's time, and I think they've settled down a little bit, but they just went for more and more and more and more. Yeah. And, I mean, that's a style, and that's California. Yeah. And, you know, we knew we couldn't do that. So we just kind of stayed in that food-friendly world of wine, and I think that's been the best for us. Yeah. Um, I think that our, I, I love the idea 
that our Cabernet Francs have really become the new benchmark for the world. Yeah. Okay. Is nice. that I've tasted some wines in Chinon, which used to be the benchmark, and I'm like, we're doing better because I think we're putting more energy into it. Yeah. You know, they've kind of in France, they've got their system, yeah. and that's the way they do it. They're much more traditional. We're here. We're constantly trying to learn a little bit more and make those things a little more stylistic. Yeah. Well, that's a good segue to what I want to talk about right. as well. Um, you know, if there are a lot of different wineries here in Virginia now and Loudoun County now. And the good news is, is that there are a lot of nice experiences. Right. You know, you go there. One of the things, and those of you who have not been to Fabioli Cellars and you're listening to this, you please go because one of the things which, besides the wine, that always brought Joan and I back were the fact that in your tasting room, during the tastings, you offer bites with the tastings, which I don't know, you know, we walk away from there always saying, why doesn't everybody do this? <laughs> but, but, man, but I guess, you know, hey, it's, you know, it's your thing and you do it well. And I, I think it's just, it just, especially for the style of wine that you're producing, it makes the perfect sense to do it that way. Well, it does. thank you for, for recognizing that. Yeah. That is, you know, one of those signatures that we have here. And I, I'm, I'm glad it's not my signature, mm -hmm. it's the Fabioli seller's signature. Okay. So I make the wine yeah. when it's time to do the pairing and all that and the functionality of it, I have great team. Yeah. So my wife runs the kitchen and she is really the one that makes sure it all comes out the right way. Mm -hmm. Anne is, our, is really our food specialist. She's, mm -hmm. our, she's our foodie in charge. Mm -hmm. And she's the one that, start, that puts these pieces together. Mm -hmm. Colleen comes up with a theme, they're working back and forth. And um, we, when, when Ann brings the, the, the bites in to try the month before, because we're changing this up every month. Yeah, yeah. Okay, restaurants don't change their menu every month. Yeah. Okay, now granted, we've only got five or six little bites to do, but those are important. Yes. And we want to make sure that we're telling the story with those, that the, the, the flavors are there, that the look is there and all that, and that, you know, the portions are in such a way that when you taste the wine, you still have the wine coming through. If the food bite is too big, yeah. then you're losing the wine and what's the point? Yeah. Our job is to make sure we sell wine. Yeah. So we wanna make sure that things fit in a way that they're enjoying the experience, but they're taking home some bottles of wine. Yeah, well, so, for someone like myself, who, you know, when I first walked through the doors here, probably had been drinking wine maybe 18 months, didn't know, you know, was still learning. It was, it was a revelation. Yeah. It really was. And, it, and I appreciate it every time to well, come here and do that. And remember that, you know, rarely do you take a bottle of wine and just drink it. Yeah. There's almost always some bite of food to go with it. Mm -hmm. Okay. Whether it's just bread and cheese or charcuterie or whatever. I mean, and we play around with it with the, with the potato chip pairing and with the Girl Scout cookies. And, and you know, some people are like, oh, you can't do that. That's That's you know, breaking the rules. It's like, we've broken plenty of rules and played through it, okay? And we keep the authenticity for the wines and respect that, but we don't want the snobbery, okay? So that really is an important thing. And the other point that I want to bring up, one, one thing is that, why don't other people do this wine, food wine pairing all the time? Because it's work. Yeah. It's a lot of work, but we've created this thing and it's become our signature. And 
we like it that people talk about it yeah. and they're able. So that's part of our brand. It is. And, you know, I mean, I, we both of us, both Colleen and I studied business in, in college. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we want to make sure that this business goes on. And um, some of those things are important. So it's nice to be able to be in a position where we're unique and people know it and they want, they talk about it outside of that. And that, you know, that name Fabioli means something. So yeah. we want to keep playing that out and trying to do it the best we can. And again, every month changing those up is, yeah. is not easy, but it gives an impact. And for our wine club, we give them, you know, they get free tasting every month uh -huh. so they can get that experience. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's kind of cool. It is cool, and I can see where it's a lot of work because we're yeah. not talking about you know cheese whiz on a cracker. I mean, it's, it's these are some gourmet but, bites. Yeah, you got four or five elements in some of these yeah. bites. Yeah, uh, some are more complex than others. You know that the raspberry is always the chocolate truffle. Yeah, um, but uh, you know that's that's that signature, and we never. We I've learned this also: never take the raspberry merlot off the plate. Okay, everybody <laughs> wants to make sure they taste the raspberry Merlot. Okay. And I never knew I was going to be Mr. Raspberry Merlot as a winemaker. Okay. But again, breaking some rules, right. playing with the fruits, right. creating these flavors that people latch into, and not just enjoying it, but there's an emotion that's tied to it. And that's, that's what you want. Yeah. Well, listen, I know you're real busy. That's I'll all right. give you one, one last uh, question here I ask everybody. And, uh, if you now, but except for with you, it would be a little different because you had a pretty yeah, ten years of, of a California sort of uh, I, I don't want to call it apprenticeship as of experience before you came into Virginia. Yeah. But I'm going to go from the point you came into the Virginia market. If you could send a text message to yourself back in with the '97, when you were back to '97, we weren't even texting then probably. <laughs> but if you could do that, if you could do that. Uh, I had a beeper. Okay. Okay. If you could, you could send yourself a page and give yourself a message and tell yourself in '97 something you know now that you had wished you'd known in '97. If there is even something like that, because you seem like you're the type of guy who kind of enjoys the journey. But if there's something that you could tell yourself that say, well, I wish I knew that in 97, what would it be? Well, I, I give you credit in reading me that I do enjoy the journey and I respect that. Yeah. And, um, but I would say this is that I've learned so much about the land and the soils and the elevation and just because, I mean, I said it early on is that this piece of land we knew was not the greatest to plant grapes on. Mm -hmm. um, and I've spent a lot of money and effort trying to grow grapes here that didn't grow. So, mm -hmm. you know, you see as you walk in a whole bunch of grapevines in the walkway. Right. Well, they're all dead grapevines <laughs> that we ripped out of, the, out of the vineyard here because they died. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, I've learned a lot on this land. Mm -hmm. um, and I guess part of it may be you know, enjoy the learning and the journey along the way. But the one element of, of commitment that I would say is here in Virginia, especially in Northern Virginia, elevation matters. Oh. And if I was at that magic 500 feet to 1,500 feet in elevation, um, I would be better as far as the grapes and the, the ability to grow better grapes. Mm -hmm. This elusive Cabernet Sauvignon that I'd love to grow, well, it grows great up there at 1,100 feet, yeah. but down here at 400 feet, nah, not yeah. quite. Yeah. So, so those would, that would probably be the thing. But, you know, I, I almost enjoy sharing the lessons and the scars and the pain yeah. because 
that's where the learning comes in. Yeah. You know, is nobody ever learned to sail in calm waters. Okay. Yeah. They learn a little bit. They learn the fundamentals. Yeah. But what they really learn is all their, their limitations and the challenges of the boat in those rougher seas or those higher winds. And that's the thing that we, um, you know, we have in Virginia. And again, it gives us our style yeah. and our flavor. So, you know, I guess, I guess that would be it is, you know, yeah. enjoy the, enjoy it. But, you know, some of those things that we've been preached, don't sit there and, you know, that's my humility test. Right. And I, I, I bulldoze through some things, but I certainly am humble in the end. Yeah. Well, Doug, is, is there anything else you'd like people to know about you or Virginia Wine or, or Fabioli Cellars that I haven't, um, we haven't touched on? You know, I, I guess the thing that I, would, that I would touch a little bit on, so one of the things that I'm doing, you know, and some people know this, but I've started a project called the New Ag School. Hmm. Okay, and this is a nonprofit education program that I've been working um, it started out mainly for everybody, but I've been able to hunker in. I still have uh, openings for people with whatever they want to learn, but I've been really focusing on the high schoolers, okay, because it's a workforce development program. These kids, we, we have this great land in Loudoun County, but currently our school system is teaching much more about uh, computer programming sure. um, and science inside the lab rather than outside in the land. So I continue to work with the school and with the kids to try to get them to understand the land itself, um, hopefully build some of the trades up, because this is great. People don't have to move, and they don't have to sit behind a computer all day long. Yeah. Um, the area is good. The land is beautiful, and there's all kinds of things that we can do to sustain our lifestyle, live out in, a, in an area where you love to be, and work outside a lot. Where can somebody go to find out more information? About uh, you can check us out at, at newagschool.org. Okay. Uh, we're on the Facebook as well. And uh, for, for Loudon, we're going to be starting a program up again in March. We do regular uh, programming on Saturday mornings here at Fabioli Cellars, where it's a real open book. People can come in and learn a little bit of something from different mentors each week. Hmm. So each person has a different specialty that they'll talk about. Um, and then the, uh, the program for the high schoolers is a six-week program. Um, and I also teach the mentors. So, so many of our farmers are good at farming, but they may need to learn how to be a teacher. Yeah. Okay. So that's another thing that's really important to this program is that we're teaching those teachers and we're building this program as we go. So it's a, it's a life calling. Um, it's really a culmination of all the things. And it's so much more than wine. Yeah. Okay. It happens to be wine centric because that's what I do. But, you know, we're growing raspberries and we're growing asparagus and pears here on the farm or key products. I just started another or start, started helping a project next door on a huge farm stand and farm. So all the other vegetables and fruits come into play on that one. And it's all, it's all fun and good and uh, great for the sustainability of the land for years to come. That's fantastic. I had Scott Harris cool. at Tuckton Creek on. Uh, a few months ago, and he told a great story about you bailing them out with some pear juice with his distilling. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, we, you know, we started, you know, as soon as they came along, we started a re relationship. Yeah. And they were actually, when I started my first education program, Becky and Scott signed on because they hadn't really started this new, um, you know, their, their, their front of house program. They yeah. knew how to make the product. 
but they were they wanted to see how the businesses work. Yeah. And I did a program, and that's what the high school program is based on: is all the different elements between growing, hospitality, uh, cleaning and sanitation, farm equipment. So we really cover a lot of different loops, and that was great to have them and see how far they've gone. So yeah. you know, as we talked about Melanie. And her direct working with me, I've also had so many others that have taken classes, done a little consulting, just conversations over the phone. You know, I'm, I'm proud of the industry and, and really the culture yeah. it goes beyond a wine industry. It's much more about an agricultural culture of, of agritourism and entertainment and land use that, that can go on for, for generations to come. Well, Doug, thank you very much for being on the show. I'm going to put all that information about where they can go for that program in the show notes as well. Okay. So they can just click on and, and get some of that, uh, that education. Who knows? Sure. I might, you might see me sitting out there one day. Cool. So. Well, thank you, Howard. Because <laughs> I, I have no green thumb. Trust me. Trust me. All right. Uh, thank you for being on the show. Cool. My take, pleasure. Take care. Cheers. Well, that's another show in the books. I had a fantastic time speaking with Doug Fabioli of Fabioli Cellars. If you live in or near the DMV, or if you're going to be visiting Loudoun County, specifically Leesburg, Virginia, do yourself a favor and stop by Fabioli Cellars. When you're there, do a tasting with the food pairings. I guarantee you're going to love it and pick up a few bottles. And please, whoever you meet there, tell them that you heard about it on Barrel Tasting. Doug, thank you for being on the show again. You're always welcome to come and discuss all things Virginia wine winemaking, and quality control related. (laughs) I'm all about promoting the craft beverage industry in the DMV because it's some of the best in the nation. If you agree, please share the podcast. The more it grows, the more I can get the word out about the craft beverage culture in this area. It's some of the best in the world. This show was written, produced, and mixed by yours truly. I'm Howard Fletcher. I'll be back next week with another craft beverage maker in the DMV to introduce to you. I know there's a ton of media out there you could be listening to besides me, and that's why I work so hard to bring you the content that I do. I truly appreciate your time investment in me. Thank you very much again for listening. And remember, always have a designated driver, so I'll see you next time. Isvikata. You have been listening to Barrel Tasting with Howard Fletcher, part of the Fletcher Podcast Group. You can reach Howard at his website, barreltastingpod.com. I'm Asia Blue. Thanks for listening. See you next time.